0: Hello there, and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. For many years, Bob Lapine served as the co host of the Family Life Today radio program. I caught up with him recently to talk about the subject of marriage and how couples can apply biblical principles to their love relationship. You'll be hearing from that conversation. Plus, Jason Lee McKinney has fronted the band that bears his name for many years. And he has written a book that corresponds in a number of ways to the band's most recent album release. You'll be hearing his comments concerning how a believer can evaluate his or her relationship with Christ and how that person can grow through it. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Summer 2022 Christian Product Expo in Lexington, Kentucky where Rhonda Robinson shared about a book she has released under her pen name Teresa White that explores the history of the person behind a well-known character associated with the Christmas season. Finally, Bruce House Connect, a focus on the family, provides insight regarding a case set to go before the U.S. Supreme Court involving a Colorado graphic artist and web designer who, because of her Christian faith, does not wish to use her creative talents to promote same-sex marriage. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Well, recently I had the chance to chat with a familiar voice to Christian radio listeners, the former co-host of Family Life Today, Bob Lapine. He serves as teaching pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and has authored a book entitled Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness, which offers couples practical biblical direction for growing in their marriages. Here now from that recent meeting house conversation is Bob Lapine.
1: Couples will often tell you that the, the pressure points that they're experiencing are around things like communication or finances or disagreements about raising the children, um, and and those are real issues. But I think they're symptoms of deeper issues. I think there's a lot more going on. In our emotional lives and our spiritual lives, that needs to be explored. So what I'm trying to do is dig beneath the, the surface, and rather than saying here's how to have better communication in your marriage, in, in uh, build a stronger marriage, I'm I'm saying let's look at what what were our expectations in marriage in the first place. What what did we expect marriage was going to deliver for us? What was some of the baggage we brought into marriage? What do we do with frustration and anger and conflict when it happens? What's the source of that conflict? How do, we, how do we press through it? How do we forgive one another? How do we trust one another again? And then what are the, the common factors that make for a healthy, strong, vibrant marriage, and how can we begin to implement those in a marriage relationship? So it, it really, uh, to use the, the metaphor of a tune-up is probably the best way to think of this book I could see a couple getting a copy of the book and having 17 date nights where they just read a chapter and talk about the projects at the end, pray together, and uh, then come back to, to date night number two. Now, it could be, Bob, that, that your date night would dislodge some some pain from the past, and if that's hmm. the case, you might need – a professional mechanic, a pastor, mm. a biblical counselor, somebody who could come alongside and help you deal with those issues. But for the most part, this is just trying to help you identify and adjust the trouble spots that can come up in a marriage.
0: When you talk about applying the scriptures into, say, marital conflict or how to deal with frustration, anger, things of that sort, or even some of the, the past issues, the baggage as you refer to it, when we talk about applying the scriptures, what do what does that look like, or what are some of the, the principles that we can use in order to actually apply scripture to these various issues that are encountered?
2: Well, I, I had
1: a kind of an epiphany moment. This was years ago, working at Family Life. Uh, I had always looked at, at the Bible and thought, you know, when the Bible speaks about marriage, there are just a few passages in the Bible that talk about marriage. There's Ephesians 5 and there's are some verses in Colossians 3. You can go back to Genesis, maybe Song of Solomon. But for the most part, the Bible just has a little bit to say about marriage. What I learned over the years of working at Family Life is that the Bible has a lot more to say about marriage than I realized, and a lot more that we can apply. And here's where I learned it. I was reading that you know the the great commandment somebody asked jesus what's the great commandment and the the greatest of the ten and he says well the great commandment is that you'd love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and then he quickly says "And there's a second one that's that's like it and that's that you love your neighbor as yourself and then he makes the statement that all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in these two commandments and i thought okay. That means that everything in the Bible is about either loving God or loving your neighbor. That's what what uh, Jesus said when he said all of the law and the prophets can be summed up here. And, and when I started to think about those commandments that are about how we are to get along with one another, I had never stopped to consider that the first and most important place where those commandments needs to be lived out is in our marriage relationship. So when we read a verse that says, for example, um, that were to encourage one another. Well, I had always thought, well, that's how we should get along with people from church, or that's how we should we should be with our neighbors. But then I stopped and went, well, who's my nearest neighbor? Well, that would be my wife, who I see every day, and um, and so I'm supposed to be encouraging her, and I'm supposed to be admonishing her, and I'm supposed to be serving her, and I'm supposed to be uh, all of all of the scripture verses that talk about how we get along with one another in the body of Christ should first be applied to how we get along with one another in a marriage relationship. So when we talk about applying the scriptures, it's seeing what the Bible says about our relationships with one another, believing that that's true, and then living life, acting like that's true, living it out in in our marriage relationship, taking God at his word and saying the Bible tells me I'm to encourage we're to encourage one another. So I need to do that with my
0: wife. Things like that. Bob Lapine here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find out more through the church website. Go to RedeemerLR.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, from the Jason Lee McKinney Band, Jason Lee McKinney was a recent guest on The Meeting House. In our conversation, he shared about the band's album project called One Last Thing, as well as his book, Deconstructing a Disciple's Doubt, and common themes between the two projects. Here now from that conversation is Jason Lee McKinney. Well, it's sort of, there's two sources of inspiration. One
2: is my own doubt. My my wife is a marriage and family therapist, but she is a person of great faith where she just believes everything's going to work out and the Bible says it and that's good enough and i've been somebody whether it's a blessing or curse it's just that's never been good enough and so i've had to search out these answers and i've had my own times of like is all this true is it not true and and you know it's a, it's it's sort of one part autobiography the book is and one part apologetic and you know philosophy and philosophy did not give me my faith i i came to faith through an experience with jesus but it has talked me back into my faith so many times And so for me, it's that one part of my own journey with doubt, but also as a college professor and a touring musician, I see so many people who grow up in the faith or live in the faith, and then when something starts to rub against it, they don't have any way to defend their faith or to know Mm. that at a minimum, Christians, we stand on equal ground with any other worldview, and I think we stand Mm. on better ground. Now, nobody can prove their worldview. You can't do that. But the evidence piles up heavily in favor of Christianity. And so because of those two things, I determined, like, you know what? I kind of over the years worked through these things and worked through the doubt, through a lot of research, a lot of study. I know a lot of guys that are rock and roll guys with tattoos, you know, saying doing research makes me sound like a bit nerdy, but that's also <laughs> me. So I've done the, the research. I've done the studying. I've, I've dove deep. And so I think one of the things with doubt that I saw is when people start to deconstruct there's sort of two ditches. One, the church freaks out and like, oh, no, they're deconstructing. They're going to lose their faith. Well, I would say we deconstruct all the time. In fact, I think the New Testament is not the Gospels or is that not about how the disciples deconstructed from what they thought the Messiah was going to be to what Je- who Jesus actually was. They had this concept, this sort of Maccabean concept of what the, of what the Savior would be, and Jesus was not that at all. He was something totally different, so they deconstructed from that, and we also talk about how young people, we want them to own their faith and not have like their parents' faith. In order to do that, you have to deconstruct from it, so deconstruction is not always bad. Now, the other ditch on the other side is – and I see this a lot in college students is really what they're doing is they're only looking – when they start to deconstruct or have doubts or things that rub against their worldview – They only put their critical eye on the worldview they grew up with, and they don't put the critical Mm -hmm. eye on what they're moving toward. And this book also challenges going, if we're going to be authentic and we're really searching for the truth, we ought to stack these worldviews up against each other and their plausibility and their probability and really look at the holes in each. And I truly believe after 25 years as a doubter… The Christianity comes out on top every time. Hmm. But that doesn't mean we don't put the critical eye. We, but y'all, you, gotta, you can't put your critical eye just on the world you're leaving. You've got to put the critical eye on the one you're heading
0: towards as well. You actually, in the book, features some QR codes that connect to some of the songs on this album project. So share with me how you see that the book and the album are actually connected. I show movie things, and then the
2: songs, I think it's important because when you start talking about apologetics and philosophy, these questions are really big, and the language can get really technical, and I do all of that. And, and the reason why I do that is because it's really important for to have precise language so that you can conquer these massive concepts in truly intellectually authentic ways. At the same time, I tell stories from my own life. I use movie quotes, and I use these song lyrics because we don't relate always to the intellectualism of things. We relate to a melody and lyrics. So when I talk about the problem of evil, I, I have the song Sing On, which quotes Simone Weil in there talking about we don't blame the ocean for its beauty when sometimes a ship crashes. So the waves ebb and flow, and that natural rhythm that God set forth. We don't blame the ocean when a ship crashes because that would take away the beauty if it ebbed and flowed in a way that made sure that no ships ever crashed. And so I weave in these theological and philosophical contexts into these song lyrics to make them more relatable and actually to get them into people's brains and hopefully their hearts and their souls
0: better. Jason Lee McKinney here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website jasonleemckinneyband.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. From that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House program. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Plus, there are links to video content. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There are links to two blogs. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Moving on now to the remainder of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. Rhonda Robinson, the author, using the pen name of Teresa White, of the children's book entitled The Legend of Christmas, an untold story of the real St. Nicholas, shared about the real character whose life provides the inspiration for the Santa Claus story. The conversation occurred at the Summer 2022 Christian Product Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. Here now from that conversation is Rhonda Robinson.
3: Teresa White is the name that my mother gave me. Is my birth name. I was adopted at um, six days old, but um, and I do talk about that in Free Fall, how the um, how I found my birth family after both of my parents had passed. My husband gave me a DNA test for my birthday one year, and mm. lo and behold, within hours, literally, um, I was connected with my birth family, and through a series of events, I found my birth certificate and my mother had given me the name Teresa. So Teresa White. So this is another kind of piece in a missing part of me. Not only did the Lord give me Christmas back, but he also gave me back a piece of me, Mm. my name. So Mm. it
0: gives you the opportunity to really, to, to honor your, your biological mother the one who gave you life and to place that stamp here on this book Mm -hmm. that also is so special from the the standpoint of bringing back some of the the joy uh, the meaning of Christmas so wonderful wonderful story so when you talked about or when you researched Saint Nicholas Mm -hmm. what did you find and what did you want to put into this book how did you want it in other words what did you want what did you want to tell and how do you want to tell it
3: well, I think I was most surprised as I, as I started researching and, and uncovering things that he lived in some of the most, in the darkest time of history. It was known as the Great Persecution. So Christians were very much in darkness and in hiding, and he was of a very wealthy family. And because he was because of, from a very wealthy family... Um he was um, in, he was very well educated at a young age as they did in those days, but his mother taught him of Christ. And so w- the story starts out of Nicholas sitting at his mother's knees learning about the birth of Jesus and learning about uh, about faith. and at a young age also he was orphaned. the black the plague came through Europe and the, the, and he lost both parents. But as a as a child with his childlike faith, he did exactly what his mother had taught him. He gave away his riches. He literally mm-hmm. gave away his wealth. And so we talk about that um, because, you know, I like to think he did it also in a way that that the Bible tells us to. You don't let the left hand know what the right's doing. And so that's the way he did it
0: and he did it by placing the the gifts mm-hmm. in in Socks or, or stockings. That sounds familiar. Well, is, is that's that...
3: that's part of that's part of the evolution of the legend. The okay. actual true story that oh, started okay. with that was
0: <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the next. <laughs> I know, I know. It's interesting so how stories get passed. They now, do. But...
3: That's 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 why I called it a legend because you know how they grow. Yeah, you know, they absolutely. start off yeah. and and yeah. they grow.
0: But there's a there's that grain there's right there in it. the center of it all. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And
3: the truth of it was during that time there was another there was another family that was very close to. To Nicholas's family, another very wealthy family. Tragedy, stuck, they were also Christians. Tragedy struck and they lost everything. And they had three daughters. Now, in those days, if you did not have a dowry, that meant you went into prostitution and mm. you lived on the street. And it broke his heart that that would be the fate of this, yeah. this close family. family friend. So, again, not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. I'm not sure if I've got that scripture right, but that you well, know yeah, what yes, I you know absolutely. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right idea. He took gold and put it through their window. And so he made sure that those wet young women had dowries and did not see that fate.
0: Rhonda Robinson or Teresa White here on this edition of the Intersection podcast, you can find out more by going to the website thelegendofchristmas.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Bruce Hausknecht, Judicial Analyst for Focus on the Family. In our recent conversation, he provided analysis of the pending U.S. Supreme Court case 303 Creative LLC v. Alanis involving a Christian web designer and graphic artist who does not wish to devote her talents to promote same-sex marriage. Here now from that conversation is Bruce House Connect. Tell me just a bit about the the road or the path that she has taken to get to this point where this case is being heard by the US Supreme Court.
4: Right. Yeah. Thanks, Bob, and and you've you've teed this up really well in your introduction. Lauren you. Smith is a young graphic designer in Denver, Colorado. She also uh, creates websites for engaged and and um, couples that are going to get married, and she's a Christian. Now, you combine all three of those, and what she really wants to do is glorify God by uh, restricting her work, her creative talents, to opposite-sex couples uh, because those are the only marriages that uh, the, the Bible condones, and that's how she wants to glorify God, by Uh, blogging and by uh, using her graphic design skills to glorify God through those kinds of marriages. But she knows, being in Colorado, and she knows that based on what Jack Phillips uh, has undergone for uh, almost uh, 10 years in Masterpiece Cake Shop, that she faces a Colorado statute that says she must uh, do her design work for LGBT couples who are wanting to get married. And the statute not only requires her to uh, use her creative arts to um, promote those weddings and those unions, it also prevents her, prohibits her from explaining on her website that she's a Christian and she only wants to restrict her wedding business to opposite sex couples. So she uh brought a lawsuit with the help of attorneys at ADF uh asking the courts to strike down the Colorado statute as it applies to her so that she can conduct business the way she wants to. Except she's lost at the federal district court level and at the 10th circuit court of appeals, but The U.S. Supreme Court has now agreed to hear her case, and although no oral argument date has been set just yet, we're looking forward to it sometime in maybe before the end of the year or early next year, Mm. and that's where the case is currently sitting.
0: So you mentioned she's lost in federal court on the district level as well as on the appeals court level out of the Tenth Circuit. So what was the rationale by which her her case was decided.
4: Interestingly enough, both of the federal courts that have uh, listened to this and and ruled against her seem to think that the First Amendment's free speech uh, requirements do not apply when a government is trying to rid the workplace and rid the business workplace in Colorado of discrimination. So they think it's, it's, all part and parcel of the government's duty and obligation and willingness to get rid of discrimination. So uh, it simply ignores the fact that this is the government telling Lori what she must say through her her artistic expression, and also telling her what she can't say. So you've got compelled speech, you've got censored speech, and. That's how, why the uh, uh, the appeals court even um, ruled against her. However, there was one dissent on that by
1: uh,
4: a conservative judge, and and he called the decision Orwellian, which I couldn't agree more with.
0: Oral arguments are scheduled in that case for early December. Bruce House Connect, in addition to being judicial analyst for Focus on the Family Rights for the Daily Citizen, its website is thedailycitizen.org. The Focus on the Family site is focusonthefamily.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House on Faith Radio. And you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests, featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Plus, there are links to video content. There are links to two blogs as well. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is MeetingHouseOnline.info or you can find the link in the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.